0: You're listening to the Beat Motel Zine Podcast, and we need to warn you that we use words like sh**, bollocks, scrattics, f anarcho and c**. And we don't normally beat those words out, apart from the word c**, because we're not total animals. Now, we know as well as you that your children can hear these words on any street in Britain, possibly any street anywhere in the world. But we also appreciate that you may not want to invite these words into your home if you have children or sensitive pets nearby whilst listening to this podcast. So listener discretion is advised. That being said, if your children aren't allergic to hearing words like fuck, shit, or hind penis, they might learn something from listening to this podcast although probably not because the quality of our educational content is quite poor so there you go fuckers buckle in and let's get started hey you're back with beat motel and i'm your host andrew culture sam isn't here today i think he's in italy falling off a bicycle or something so not instead of sam and not as a replacement for dr sam i have marv here do you, do, now I know you as Marv, but do, do, does everyone call you Marv?
1: Yes, it's, yes. It's not my real name, and I'm quite happy that nobody knows my real name, and those <laughs> that do um, don't don't use it
0: anywhere. So, I think it's it's quite. I, well, I'm Andrew Culture, just because in Ipswich that's what everyone called me. You just sort of took your yeah. surname from whatever band you're in. So I know you as Marv Gaggi and Gadgie isn't a band. What is it?
1: It's a fanzine. Hey. <laughs> it's a long-running fanzine that um, you know well what it is. It's 25 <laughs> years, 26 years now it's been going. Issue 50 has just, just been released into the wild. So it's um, it's a long-running UK punk rock fanzine.
0: I absolutely know what, what Zine is. I, um, I'm trying to think how I even discovered it. Whose fault was it?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I remember you ordering loads of copies years ago and selling them in a, a distro or a shop yeah, in Ipswich yeah. and you just kept coming back for more. <laughs> I and mean, I've sold them all, can I have some more? And um and then you... you invited me on to write for your fanzine, I believe. Along so this... with Scanner, who lived in the same street as you I think the addresses were very oh, similar it work it was are. very
0: close. There, there was two zines. There was three zines in Ipswich, like uh, like regular ones at the time. There was mine, Beat Motel. You know where this comes from. There was Scanner, done by Steve, who has lived in New Zealand for years now. Mm-hmm. Do occasionally kind of hear from, him, and he's still running it as a a, a web scene. And then there was Real Overdose. That's
1: that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, done by Wolfie. Wolfie. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: right. Who no one has seen for many years. He. Uh, oh. He sort of picked a date that he was going to duck out of of the punk scene and did, much to everyone's surprise, and (laughs) no one's really heard from him since. Um, But, yeah, you're alluding to I had a record shop that I ran with Ricky from Red Flag, and every poor bugger who came into that shop, I'd try and get him to leave with a copy of a fanzine. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Which, well, just – I'm not blowing my own organ or whatever the phrase is, but there, there was there are people, there were kids that came into that shop I'm still friends with now, and they're making their own fanzines and, and doing all that stuff. And I think you only need it to be sort of, you only need a fanzine shoved in your face once or twice, and then it's quite an easy thing to figure out where mm-hmm. the joy is. And, and <clears> it's certainly an accessible-looking thing, and I'm not saying that, I'm not being mean about the appearance of Gadgie, which I, of course, adore, <laughs> but it's, it's not like picking up a copy of Smash Hits or something and going, Well, I'm I'm never gonna be uh, never gonna be the editor for a team of journalists.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. The presentation often gets commented on. It it is deliberately um I was gonna say lo fi, but it is done on a computer. It's not cut and paste anymore. But no, I've no interest in making it look any better. I just always figured there's more room for writing then. Oh, if absolutely. I, if I put more pictures in and mess around with the format and make it look better, I can't stand it when you get a fanzine and there's, there's like a little bit of text, a picture in a blank space, or some <laughs> arty geometric shapes in the top corner. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or you get a fanzine. Oh, God, yeah, and yeah they, you read it in like six minutes. And um, no, I just like to fill it with text.
0: I'm still a bit salty about about the way fanzines went, probably about 10. 10- Probably was about ten or twelve years ago, possibly a bit longer ago. I was going out to zine symposiums at you know Brighton and London, all kinds of places. And the last one I went to in Brighton, I published a copy of Beat Motel, which I used to pride myself for having like a minimum of eighty thousand words in each issue. You know, you're a columnist at some time, yeah, yeah. Like twenty columnists.
1: It was packed with with um, as much information as you could. I think those Zip Switch fanzines had a you all. I won't say all were the same, but they they had a look that as mm. if you were all from the same fanzine stable. That they, they were all awesome. very similar.
0: All going to the same gigs together and and yeah, all yeah. helping out with each other's fanzines. Very much, you know, Even on a technical level, somehow yeah. I, I ended up being the one who understood how to use the fancy software, and then so I'd, I'd like I'd love the idea actually now if there was like an Ipswich punk fanzine support line that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't ring me they'd just talk over a pint at a gig so like most of the instructions for how to use the software was probably shouted really loudly in each other's ears in ways that we couldn't actually understand
1: <laughs> whilst watching a band whilst talking watching about band. leaving <laughs> half a millimeter at the side and things like that <laughs> oh god
0: yeah like trying to figure out what bleeds were and stuff like yeah, that was yeah. just just wild but where do you get where would you get gadget printed
1: Footprint in Leeds. Oh, wow, still uh, with
0: Footprint. Excellent.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're Workers Cooperative. Footprint Workers Cooperative in Leeds. There's a quick advert for them. Uh, yeah, they're um, they have the right ethics. They're they're part of the way we do things, aren't they? They're sort of DIY mm. punks. So I don't think they're necessarily punks as such, but they they do things the same way the DIY scene does. So I like to support that sort of thing.
0: Uh, Footprint is are uh, just brilliant, and they. I found them really, really useful when, when I started up because I had to go at printing the fanzine myself. I'd like literally with a printer at home. Mm-hmm. I got about three issues in and, and Beat Motel was about 80 pages. I was like, this is going to bankrupt me. Yeah, so yeah. I, I spoke to them. And what was nice is that I'm, you, I deal with printers a little bit in my day job and they're, they're, they're complex beasts. they like give you these really technical specifications where foot printers would just email you back and go, well, you fucked that up, didn't you? <laughs> like, <laughs> i just
1: want someone to say to me right 100 copies will cost this yeah give us your address pay for it and we'll send you it that that's all i want i'm not interested in technical things as you've probably gathered from the (laughs) the layout and what i've said already
0: but the thing is if if you're not technical the the sort of layout you use keeps it readable because if if you try and cram too much in then when it goes through the print presses it just comes out kind of smudgy and
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And weird looking. Did they ever send you the the thing? they never sent specs, but they they used to send a thing when you first spoke to them and it said, look, we appreciate your punk rock and you want black everything, but if you're putting a photograph of a band wearing black in front of their black amps on a black backdrop, it's probably not going to come out very well. In the dark. Yeah. In
1: the dark. Yeah.
0: And thought sort of, yeah. this is this is the this is a kind of guidance the uh, scene zine the zine scene needs
1: yeah Um, yeah i learned that very quickly and i started just cutting pictures up from magazines that might be black and white already mm. um photocopying um pages from like fighting fantasy books and things like that (laughs) because everything was just black and white line drawings um and yeah I, i i would deliberately leave out things that i thought that's a brilliant photo but i wouldn't put it in but if you look at somebody like suspect device fanzine, um, I don't know how Tony does it or where he gets that printed, but the photographs take up whole pages and they're fantastic. They're, mm. they're really clear and crisp. But uh, no, I'm not that sort of fanzine. I, um, I, 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 I figured... admire fanzines that can do that, though.
0: It's a lot of work, basically. I, I, I could do it with Beat Motel, but it's, it's a lot of fiddling around, basically. Have you ever actually met the guys from Footprinters?
1: No, I don't believe I have. Or not, <laughs> not in. I, I may have met them and not known who they were, but um, whenever I send emails back and forth, there's there's like half a dozen different names come back mm. on the emails. Um, so no, I've never. I don't believe I've actually met any of them.
0: I met them at a, a London Zine Symposium. It was there was a Zine, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was run by a guy called Ed, and possibly his girlfriend at the time. He also he was a cartoonist; he drew. Monkeys, um,
1: guys. <laughs> oh, like really, the sound of that zine.
0: R- reason to believe, or something? Oh, I, I no, it wasn't reason to believe. That was a different zine. But they they put on a zine symposium in a squat in London, and it was like a. I don't know if it was a basketball court or, or something. Some of the time, because I, I'm not going to describe the whole fucking building, but yeah, the footprint guys were there, and they brought some of their print printing equipment down down from Leeds, and they, they made a zine on the day and printed it, and they had all the, the choppers, yeah, yeah. technical term, the, there, the choppy things, things. yeah, that guillotine, that's wow. it, and collators and whatever. And I can remember a little part of me was disappointed at how how smart their gear looked. Now, this sounds like an odd thing to say, but in my <laughs> head, you know, like in the Cold War, the Americans and the British like airdropped print presses into West Germany or East Germany, whichever one the communist one was. So to encourage people to, like, print subversive literature and, and undermine yeah,
1: underline the yeah.
0: Soviets, I really liked the idea of them using print presses like that, you know, or ones that look like, <laughs> um, do you remember the Bertha, the kids' TV programme? Yes, yes, yeah. like Bertha,
1: lovely big, Bertha.
0: Yeah, I, I, I kind of hoped their print presses would look like that. <laughs> oh, sorry, look, I, I know this isn't a, a podcast, but my me, me studio's falling apart. That just landed on me. Um. So I kind of kind of talked that that into a dead end, really. <laughs> but I did no, no, manage no, to birth references
1: did, to eighties children's TV programs. Will always be fine with me. Well, see that that that's
0: if I was a smarter presenter or host, I could try and pretend that that was what I was trying to do. So, <laughs> so going back to talking about Gadgie, obviously it is, it's very much a punk rock scene. There, there's there's no no doubt about that. But one of the things I've always really really liked about it is these. It's not so much a nod to your childhood as <laughs> a, a welcoming gesture, yeah, like like a showman might me. do, pointing yeah. at something. Come and join me, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm always astonished at, at your memory for this. Is it all just in your brain all the time, or does it just come yeah. out when you sit down and start writing?
1: Yeah, my mother always say, is amazed at how how my memory is is so good for for stupid like trivial. Um, useless information. But if, if you send me a shot for a pepper, a loaf of bread and a pint of milk, I'll come back with a pair of trousers and some records. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'll forget everything you sent me for. But I, I can remember like what I was wearing in 1983 when I went to see something at the cinema. or I can remember who scored a goal in some football match I went to. You know, the score and the, the time the goal went in. And I can remember so much trivial stuff that just sticks in my head like that. And um, I, I don't know why I've, I've got Wait, such a good memory for that.
0: So let, let's, let's um, actually, dear listener, sorry, addressing the listeners for a minute. I asked Marv to, to pick a bunch of tunes. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, how, why did you start a fanzine? Is it just because it's something everyone does or what or felt like um, it at the time?
1: Yeah, I was, in the I got into music and going to gigs and things in the very, very early 90s, very late 1980s. Um, I was a bit of an indie kid initially, you know, um, the, the Manchester bands, you know, I, that sort of thing, and then Nirvana and all the grunge things. And then I started digging a bit deeper and the Sex Pistols, The Clash, Public Image Limited, stuff like that. Um, I went to university and a couple of my friends went to university at the same time in different parts of the country and we'd write each other letters in those days. And and one of my mates, Graham, he went to Bristol and he got involved in the punk scene in Bristol and was sending me flyers and tapes with bands like um, Stalingrad and Underclass and Doom and things like that, who, Voorhees, it, it was just uh, this whole new world opened up. Like, I thought I was into punk because I liked Sham 69 and then... Mm. Then I heard Voorhees' first album and I like changed overnight. So I said, that's <laughs> not punk. This, this is punk rock now. Um, and I started ordering everything like records, singles, cassettes, fanzines and voraciously like sort of soaking it all up in sort of early to mid 1990s. And then when I moved to Boston after university in Lincolnshire, um, there was a bit of a, a scene that had been really strong and it died out a bit, but was getting back up when I met people like Urko, Poindexter, Fairsake, all of those bands, um, and the people who were involved. And musically, I have absolutely no ability whatsoever. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a musician. I can't sing or anything like that. So I thought, I'll write a fanzine instead. That'll be my contribution, because, you know, the punk idea is, like, get involved, isn't it? Mm. And don't just be someone who pays the money, watches the bands, goes home, buys the records, I, although I do that. <laughs> I wanted to contribute something. And a lot of people would say to me, Boston, I've never heard of it. Where's that? They didn't even know where Lincolnshire was. Never mind Boston. Um, so I, I started sending off demo cassettes of but the the bands like Urco and Poindexter and so on. And um, I ended up writing a fanzine initially to be like a glorified advert for our local scene to get gigs for our bands and get bands to come and play in boston um and that lasted for two or three issues and then a really good friend of mine um who's sadly no longer with us jas toomer who was was in urco he was a prodigious letter writer and record trader and he knew everybody everywhere in the world um and on long journeys to to gigs in to bradford or leeds or london on on like a Tuesday night and things like that with Urko, we'd, we'd swap tales of stupid things we've done in the past. And and I just thought, yeah, I could write about that. I could um, put that into a zine. And by about issue four, I think it was, I think I did the first bit where I wrote about messing about at school, getting thrown out of a science lab and the teacher beating some kid up or something like that. Um, and people seemed to like that. And... Uh, it caught on and it developed, and I became rather infamous as much for <laughs> the sort of punk rock coverage as the stupid childhood memories and daft stories. And that's where you came in, if you remember, because my um, my mother-in-law uh, would take an issue. I'd get home from work, and she'd been to visit, and there'd be a pound on the table, and I'd say to Mrs. Gadget, hey, who's is this pound? Oh, mum left it. She took a zine (laughs) and she would read the stories to her mother, my wife's Wow! And um, she would skip the record reviews, you know, talking about House Rotten's new seven inch or um, a gig that I went to see at the one in 12 Club. And she'd just read the stupid stories of falling out of trees and you know, people shitting on driveways and <laughs> um, playing football over the field till it got too dark, you know, all those sort of things. Mm. And um, she loved it. And I, and I thought, maybe there's something in that, that there's maybe an audience for my nonsense outside of punk rock. And about that time, you said to me, have you ever thought of writing a book? Mm. And I thought, well, actually, yes, yes, I have. And there we go. That's what led to the book, which was like Gadgie's greatest hits for the first 16 or 17 issues, minus all the punk content and just the sort of biographical content. And I'm eternally grateful for yourself for, for printing that out for me. It, um, it, it was a lot of fun yeah, to it do. Yeah, just carried on from there, yeah. It Just 50 issues later, I'm still talking about daft things that people said on the way to a gig or... Funny things that happened at work, you know, the, the and I'm still doing it now, and people still buy it and lap it up. So,
0: well, you appear to have a, a lot of material. I, I like the way that some of the stories over the years, when I when if you haven't set the scene at the start of a story, and listener these are completely like entwined with the zine, it's not like now it's this, now it's that, it's, it's yeah, all, all yeah. quite combined that sometimes I'm pleasantly sort of like amused when I find out the story you're telling is actually much, much more recent. I love the fact that it's not. The thing is, I don't think it would work so well for me. I mean, this is all subjective and, and, you know, I'm not saying a truth, but if it was like this sort of saccharine rose tinted spectacles look at the past. I think that there's plenty of that from other places, but it's it's the way you you're quite brutal with some of it. <laughs> especially the way you especially the way you talk about yourself and Yeah
1: I also like a bit of self-depreciating humour. I mean it'd be easy wouldn't it to tell your life story where you're you're the, the dashing hero who's brilliant at everything and you know I like I like I could tell you a good football story where I played in a cup final and I was brilliant and we won the cup and a complete stranger told me I was the best player on the pitch. And I was like, yeah, thank you, man. I love that. I really appreciate it. But I can also tell you stories where we got lost on the way to a football match or where there was no window in the changing rooms. And there was just this massive hole in the back. And this fella came around and said to us, don't worry, lads, I'll lock the door. <laughs> and <laughs> um, lock you in. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, like, locked the door so no one could get in and steal our stuff. But there was, like, a huge six-foot window missing in the back that anyone could crawl in. You know, I find that sort of thing far more entertaining than telling you, you know, when I was brilliant and I won the cup or... When I was, when I did this when I did that, I think the more mundane, uh, everyday sort of stories are, are much funnier and more interesting. I don't. I'm quite happy with a bit of self-depreciating humour as well. It's a it's
0: a type of humour that that is it runs through the whole punk rock scene. It's a very rich vein. In fact, it's almost a warning sign if you if a band is prepared to admit they're good which makes interviewing bands quite challenging sometimes.
1: Yeah, don't you find you get like press releases and they tell you like it's the best album since the Beatles or something and automatically, no, I don't even want to listen to it.
0: Well, (laughs) I want to to speak to you about your reviews because you don't have a review policy per se. Uh, Review policies, for anyone who who hasn't read hundreds of zines, some zines have a review policy and they say quite clearly what they will and won't accept. Yeah. Um, and I mean, mine, this goes back to I would get 150, 200 CDs through the letterbox some months. It, it, just, it, got, it just got nuts. But mine was if you use the phrase next best thing, if you use the phrase best kept secret, if you, and I had this whole list of things. Yeah, like, yeah, if, yeah. if your press release has any of these phrases in it, I will destroy it and never speak of you. Because it just
1: it, Built a loyal local following. That's another one, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we built a, a good
1: following locally and supported some big-name bands. I'm like, I don't oh, care. Yeah.
0: That, they list, you'd read the press release, and it would just list the, the bands they'd played with, and I always yeah. think, I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're, care, yeah. they're those bands. Like yeah. I, I I couldn't even figure out why I, I didn't care. It wasn't that I thought they were like hanging on the coattails. It was just, yeah. that's irrelevant. It'd be like getting sent a tape or a CD and going, do you know what, the day before this was recorded, I had Weetabix for the first time in months. You'd be like, <laughs> well, if, if that is something that you want to be a part of your shtick, then at least be fucking yeah. funnier about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? exactly. used to get some, get some good piss-take um, press releases. Just the, actually the very concept of a press release seems slightly weird now.
1: Yeah, I think uh, in, in, in the DIY punk world nowadays, I get the odd CD. With a scrawled note. Now then, Marv, here's our new CD. Hope you like it. Give us a review if you would. I mean, that's enough for me. Mm. And then I listen to it and met my own mind up. But a lot of the time you get you get sent downloads. So here's a link. Give us a shout. Give us a, a mention on your, your page or in your zine or whatever. Um, and you get a little bit of a press release. But I think with the DIY labels I generally deal with, you, you don't get so much of that. Up their own ass, sort of thing. It's, they, um... Because
0: they they actually build relationships. It's I was really I sort of wandered away from the world of scenes a bit, and, and your 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 um, enthusiasm for sending me each copy of Gadgie, which I'm always very grateful for, did did keep me connected. But when I started this podcast and started to really <laughs> dive back into the world of scenes and the scene as a whole, because I've not played in a punk band or a band that would you know kind of necessarily fit in that scene for for quite a while. I was really pleased to see some names are still really current, like TNS Records. Yeah. It's like well chuffed that they're still going because they were always yeah. absolutely spot on as people. And yeah, and they, they would be more likely to make a phone call and tell you about a band rather yeah. than yeah. God, is going back a bit. So it, it's it's kind of cool that a lot of that hasn't died out. But, your yeah, so your review policy is basically you'll only talk about a release if you like it.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've gone the, the complete opposite way. I used to review everything I got sent back in back in the day, as us old people like to say. <laughs> um, but I used to have a post box, post office box. I used to go mm. and collect it every Friday. I'd take my daughter to a dance class and we'd call her on the way home and she'd sit and open the letters and go, oh, there's a CD in this one, Dad. Oh, there's a record in this. There's a zine in this one, some stickers. And... Um, a lot of the time it'd be bands that got what we're about, but a lot of the time you'd also get stuff where somebody had obviously picked up Fracture fanzine and gone down and just sent to every address there, even if you only covered D-beat bands like Bullet Belts and um, Studded Jackets, and you'd get like some singer-songwriter stuff or some the latest indie band or something, which you clearly would absolutely hate, have no interest in, or not want to feature in the zine even if you know because it's not the sort of thing i wanted to cover so i'd often write quite quite brutal reviews of stuff that i hated
0: um and did did any of the bands ever contact you
1: no i never got started on at a gig no one like attacked me or um but i I, I, I think i wrote something like I, i think it became quite a challenge to not just say you know like shit sandwich sort of review and i I put something like i'd rather shower in diarrhea than listen to this again or um uh, just stupid childish inane puerile sort of um reviews but then i figured nowadays i've got 28 or 32 pages and why waste like two pages writing about some band that I've got no interest in at all. Um, so I just band records that I pick up, um, and if I really like them, I'll write a bit about them. And I get sent lots of stuff, and I'll be honest, if if I don't like something, I just don't review it. Mm-hmm. Because like, I, I usually, from some labels, get, get four or five releases maybe, and I'll pick the three that I really like and just write about them. Because, like I say, I've, I've not got the time. I don't know about you, I've got thousands of records and I've got thousands of songs digitally, and I want to listen to stuff I like. I don't want to sit and listen to some awful metalcore band or some whiny pop punk band when I've got loads of other good records that I want to listen to.
0: I, I realised that, but it was starting to make me hate music. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to, I started off with the, the the intention of giving everything a fair shot just couldn't do it just yeah. i ended up just not even wanting to listen to the stuff i did have i just got so exhausted by it and it was such a yeah. relief when i when i stopped printing the zine that i didn't have to do that anymore i never did have to do it i think kind of yeah. your your attitude is 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 a much healthier one yeah
1: because- like mr t at lights go out fanzine you know you know lights go out fanzine he um, he reviews everything everything he gets sent and he's into Mainly sort of skate punk, that sort of thing. But it, it, he's got stuff where he says, Oh, I don't like this sort of thing. Not my cup of tea, or Oh, God, this is awful. I can't stand it. And it, it's clearly nothing that he's ever going to buy or be interested in. I've, I've chatted with him about it and he has an open door policy, but he will absolutely like slate something if he, if he can't stand it.
0: I, I don't know how, how Paul has the energy. Oh, so, Mr. T, um, I've known yeah. him for. God knows how longs. We used to tour with him with Second in Line, mild Band, Junk Culture. We used to do, <clears> well, say tour. We'd do like, you know, three or four dates, and playing yeah. to no one, and then sleeping on each other's floors, which was a bloody great way to spend spend your time when yeah, when, you're, yeah. when you're younger. But he's he's I don't know where he gets his energy from. He's probably going to listen to this. Hello, Paul. But uh, <laughs> I genuinely don't know where he gets it from. The the man when he started putting out lights go out. He's just – he's he's never let up. He's just been firing
1: them out ever since. He's been going out monthly for about oh, a good few years now. Oh, I I write a column for him every month, and I sometimes I stockpile them and send him like four or five. I think, right, I can have a rest now. But <laughs> um, I try to do something every month for him, and it, it is a challenge. But, uh, yeah, he's up to 120, I think, the next one or be.
0: I, I wrote cool. – I wrote a column as well for a long time, and I got to. say There was nothing left. <laughs> I just like, yeah, yeah. My, my brain is now empty. I've, I've emptied it all into into a fanzine, but but yeah, there we go. Uh, so we we ought to have some music, really, because you've got some yeah. music choices. I'm going to play the first one, and I was going to try and put these in chronological order, but I, well, if I'm honest, I couldn't be asked. So <laughs> here's the first one. Shall we take a I hate that we can only play (laughs) thirty seconds for licensing reasons, and it's really brutal.
1: It uh, (laughs)
0: it just slams the door. I was really surprised by that choice.
1: Yeah, I uh, I can imagine if there's any like punks who know me listening to this, they'll be absolutely mortified. But um, that's uh, Northside, a sort of being polite second division Manchester band from the early nineties, and. The reason they have a special place in my heart is it was the first gig I ever went to. Oh, wow! Uh, in, in 1990, I was probably about what would I have been? 16, maybe seven, going on 17. And um, me and my brother and all our mates were into like the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays, and um, they played Middlesbrough Town Hall. So the first band I ever saw live, I believe, was their support band who. I think we're called the Hair and Skin Trading Company or something. I don't and I remember just stood it. there thinking they were awful. Um, <laughs> and then Northside came on. It was brilliant. We we were all, I think my brother had been about three or four gigs before me. Um, he was into music. and I Because I, I spent all my money going to watch football. I was uh, Middlesbrough season ticket holder. And, but, yeah, it was the first gig I went to. And um, I loved it. And I've been to about 766 since... Wow. Uh,
0: well, the, the reason it surprised me is that that was absolutely, I think I've got that on, on. I might even have the 12-inch.
1: Yeah, I've got that. the 12-inch. <laughs> i the
0: I loved it. I, I was, you know, me and my mates in this little rural village in Suffolk were, were really into, Stone Roses were just like gods to us really. Mm. And then the Charlatans is why I actually started playing in bands. Yeah. But we yeah. used to cover that. We used to cover Shall I Take a Trip? Yeah, I
1: think it was the first scene that I felt part of because mm. when I was younger, like, you know, I like Adam and the ants and Bow Wow Wow and the jam and whatever was on top of the pops, um, but I'm not going to pretend I'm, like, really cool, and I went to see, like, the jam when I was, like, nine or something, <laughs> uh, uh yeah. So it was the first time I felt part of something. We're all, all in our flares and pearsley tops and oh, wow. curtains, haircuts, like walking down Linthorpe Road in Middlesbrough, looking like a right bunch of bell ends, but thinking <laughs> thinking we were really cool. But you look back
0: now, and um, well, Northside they did have a top ten hit. Yeah, take five, take five in the
1: charts. Yeah, if and you rise, look back, rising star, shining star, something like that. I can't remember,
0: but looking back, they were wicked young. They, yeah, they were yeah. they, there. Was them and then another band called Northern Uproar came along a little yeah, while after so were like band, even yeah. younger. And then bands yeah. just seemed to be getting. I mean, when I say younger, I was about fifteen, and they were probably twenty-one. So yeah, at the time, yeah. we would have thought they were like past it and old. But <laughs> <laughs> but I I saw a years later I saw a a, a poster for Northside and they're playing Norwich, I think, and. They turned into a reggae band or something, and I don't know if I really? misremember. Yeah, I don't know if I misremember oh, that grief. because it was about ten years later. It was possibly like late nineties by then, and I can remember being really surprised, thinking that was a bit of a curveball, and it might have just been a different band, or I might have just be entirely misremembering. But <laughs> that that would have been a surprise. But I, I can see the parallel with punk personally because the Charlatans were. That organ sound is what I fell in love with. And yeah, they yeah. they have what I now understand as being kind of a almost a northern soul edge to them. And it was sort of, it seemed, I loved it. I absolutely adored it. But it seemed slightly unachievable. And the Stone Roses were just, you know, just, there was no way we were even going to attempt to do anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Northside, just a guitar and a really simple bass line. The drums were like, do you know what? That feels like something we might actually be able to have a crack at. That's where the punk rock of it. Is to me.
1: Yeah, it's very much that thing when there's when there's a subculture. There's there's two or three bands in a particular area or venue have a particular look and aesthetic and sound, and then within a year there's loads of bands doing it, and you get like the Mock Turtles and Northside and uh, uh, like you say Northern uproar and you get loads of bands walking around in kiguls and Adidas Gazelles, and (laughs) um, until the next thing, and uh, yeah. Yeah. It, but yeah, it it did feel like we were part of something because all the music I'd listened to beforehand had already been, whereas this was this was our our time, our music. And for a few years, we, it was all we listened to. The Charlatans were, yeah, we loved them. I went to see them in uh, Nottingham last year with my brother and we, we had a trip down memory lane and like a greatest hit set it was wonderful yeah
0: <laughs> i think they, i think they're still current i think they're one of the very few bands who actually rode the wave yeah really well have you read tim burgess's book
1: i've not no but i, I do like that they've never stopped mm. Is it and the I books? Where they've the... got they've got real hardcore fans who follow them everywhere through through thick and thin and thinner <laughs> but the, they, the, they, books... they are still a good band yeah the, the book's
0: worth a read. I'm not going to go on about it in depth because we I covered it in a in a previous episode, but it's worth a read. I was well shocked to find out Tim Burgess was a crackhead, though <laughs> that came as a bit of a surprise. Right, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that that's you know there's always going to be a bit of sensationalism in books like yeah, that. But yeah.
1: the, you have to sell the book, don't you?
0: You got to sell the book. But what I like about it, after saying I'm not going to talk about it, I'm going to give you like a very brief kind of bit, is that he, he actually has a fantastic memory for what it was actually like and how it and and how it evolved which is a lot more interesting than some other books that just are going of course then we uh got our our brit award or whatever you know yeah. and then it's, we it's recorded little...
1: this in france and blah blah blah
0: yeah <laughs> it's a lot more interesting yeah right so let's move on to the next track okay. so this um do you want me to I'm gonna say do you want me to announce them you know what they are because you sent me the list
1: if you wish, just for the for the listeners.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say the name of the band and afterwards you can tell us the name of the track. God. it's like slamming a door when it stops yeah. like that isn't it
1: yeah it, so, it's the it's the one and only it's discharge isn't it the greatest punk band ever i John, um, I on. went to see them on saturday night for the hey. 11th or 12th time or something <laughs> uh, i've seen about four or five times just this year i absolutely love discharge their their their, their album their their first album, I think, is the greatest punk rock record ever. It it never ever ceases to amaze me whenever I listen to it. How how intensely brutal it is, absolutely searing. And to think they did that in like the early '80s. These bands now that try and do that and can't sound that savage. It's it's unreal. And um, yeah, I've been at CM many times recently since they've had the. I'll say the new lineup, but they've been like that for a good eight or nine years or something now. And, um, yeah, whenever they play anywhere in the East Midlands, I'll be there. I love Discharge. They're great.
0: <laughs> and, and I need to revisit that album because I, I haven't heard them for such a long time. And I think last time, sometimes I think when, when you hear bands, your tastes haven't quite aligned. They haven't quite sort of caught yeah. up with, with whatever it is. And I listened to <clears throat> Discharge before and kind of went, whoa, 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 whoa. It was like almost yeah. too much, but... Kind of, oh, I've got into loads of terrible Scandinavian metal over the last few years, and hearing something like Discharge just just sounds raging.
1: It just yeah, sounds,
0: uh, brutal's the only way I can think of it. It's brutal. When, in a when way I first
1: heard them, an early sort of la- didn't get into them because because I'm an idiot, and I bought their <laughs> their Y twelve inch from a second-hand record shop while while I was at university in the early nineties. And I thought, oh, that's that band everybody talks about. I'll um, I'll have a go on that. And I, in my naivety, I just assumed it was an LP, because it's a 12-inch, isn't it? But it's actually an EP, and it played on 45. So I got home, and I put it on, and I played <laughs> it at 33, and it just sounded like really awful, slow, dirgy metal. I, thought, I probably quite oh, like that, though. <laughs> yeah, and I thought some people will probably like it, but... I thought this is awful and I thought such an influential band I must have got like the wrong band or I must have got <laughs> the wrong it uh, must have been their their awful metal phase which well we'll not talk about the second album but um, and <laughs> and then I just put it to the back of the cupboard and I didn't listen to it for a few months and then I think I must have been playing some seven inches and I'd, I'd left it on 45 by mistake and then I heard the Y12-inch as it was meant to be. I was like, I was just, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is something else. And that was it. It was like life before discharge and life after discharge. It's, wow, it's like that... a pivotal moment in my life, I think.
0: It reminded me of the, um, you know the band Stupids? They're I know kind of them well, yes. Yeah, yes it's we in Boston. Um, the story of how Tommy learnt to play the drums, have you heard that?
1: I've not, no, no. Well, he... Um,
0: because at the time, especially when Stevie's first came about, they were like, "Yeah, fastest band there was." And also, yeah, there yeah. was also Wolfie at the time from from Real Overdose. He he ought to learn the drums. Uh, and I'm going to cringe if, he's, if he if ever listens to this. I do I do chat to him sometimes, and he uh, he just you know I'll, right. I'll learn the drums by playing along to records but he played along to ACDC albums, but by playing them at 45. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that was an accident or not, but the idea of just like going, how do you play the drums? Right, okay. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, and there you go. There's the stupid sound, yeah. <laughs>
0: there it is indeed. Yeah, we right. had the
1: Stupids play Boston. Um, it was it was quite relatively recently. They didn't play yeah. back in the day, but a lot of people were massively into them in Boston before, when I didn't live here. And then when I was putting gigs on, I got offered, I got offered the, the stupids and loads of older folks came out the woodwork who had not been to, to gigs for years. And they were shouting all the songs out, requests, and it really made some people's day. And people who hadn't been to a punk gig in like 20 years were, were coming out to see the stupids. And they came to our house for dinner beforehand. We fed them and um, Tommy was out in the garden throwing the ball for our dog. I was like, I said to the missus, I said, "That's Tommy Stupid out <laughs> there throwing the ball for our dog," and she was like, "Who is it?" I was like, oh. "My wife's like, it's any sort of punk, sort of celebrities, if you like, just just completely pass her by. She she's not into it at all." And I think it's with Tommy and the
0: Stupids, it's the sense of humor that that's what kind of appealed yeah, to me. Yeah. Same thing, place in Ipswich, and they'll just you see people you haven't seen for years, but I, he. Yeah, so he talked to me. Talked to each other sometimes. He he sent me a message on <clears throat> Facebook Messenger a couple of years ago. There there was um the street I live in in Ipswich, just typical Victorian terrace. There's there's always like problems with cars getting hit and stuff. And the local yeah. newspaper, I know people at the local newspaper, and they they basically said, look, we just need we need someone to like make a statement or say something about parking, something really mundane. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll do that. Yeah, I'm kind of quite happy with kind of getting me face in the paper because then I get a message from my me mum going, why are you in the paper? I'm like, fucking read it. That's why the words are there, to like with the picture. And um, so they came to take a picture. And I thought nothing. I just stood there like doing um, – I was refusing to do the pointing and looking cross thing that they do in local newspapers. <laughs> I, was, I was just stood there like that, I think, trying, trying to like look like, I don't know, a, a, something. And I got it came out and I got a message from Tommy. And he said – for fuck's sake, man, you can't wear crocs in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> he said, That's oh just not punk rock. And yeah, I looked at the picture, I was wearing shorts, and because I just popped out my front door, I was just wearing yeah. crocs. He's like, You have let the you've let the whole of punk croc down. That's you- it. You- you Hand in your, your punk
1: card now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, let- let's have another track. I'm not sure there's anyone who wouldn't know what that was, but what was that?
1: That is "Ex Offender" by Blondie.
0: They sound it's, promising.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's no secret. I think it's fair to say that I'm a bit of a bit of a Blondie fan. Um, when people say about the fanzine, I so it's the one with Debbie Harry on the cover, and you, uh, you have to narrow it down a bit, don't you? <laughs> uh, I think yeah, a, you always find
0: new pictures. Yeah. I think almost every time I pick up a copy of Gadji, there's a new picture of of, of, um, of Debbie Harry in it, which is You can worth never the price have too many allows. pictures
1: of Debbie Harry, can you? It's, um, <laughs> I, I found Blondie years and years and years ago when um, my, my dad had a built-in. As, as remember in the seventies, all the furniture was built-in, wasn't it? Oh, you had get had like a sideboard the, with a record. Yeah, board. a built-in stereo cabinet that was part of the wall, and uh, there was there was. It was a tiny, tiny little a load gap bearing
0: record player. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And it'd have like little glass doors built in with, with bricks and things and around built into the wall. And um, think if something fell down the back of it, you would never get it back. because It's gone move forever. It. So there'd probably <laughs> be like some Star Wars figures or Sabuti or players or um uh, you know, postcards or whatever. And um, when he decided to knock it out and redecorate we found two cassettes down the back and one of them they were both recorded by somebody from a dad and one of them said blondie parallel lines and one of them said dead kennedy's which wow. my dad has got no interest in punk i have <laughs> no idea why he would have a dead kennedy's cassette so anyway me and my brother found them and we put them on and the first one was the dead kennedy's and in our youthful naivety um we thought there was something wrong with the cassette because uh, Jello's voice is, is quite jarring, isn't it? If if you're not mm. familiar with, with, it's also
0: comedy. quite in some Yeah, way.
1: and the strange guitar sound and it was it was too much. Like you said earlier, it was it was too much for us then. Mm. But I would come back to discover the dead Kennedy. So we put the other one on, and it was um, Parallel Lines, and it was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard in my life. It was like uh, hanging on the telephone came on and. And this, this woman's voice and this like the music, I was absolutely like smitten. And all I had was this cassette. I didn't even know what they looked like. And then a few months later I was in HMV and I found the LP and then I looked at the picture and well, that was it. I was That's it. Life that, over yeah, that sent me on a journey, shall we <laughs> say? And uh, I've been absolutely obsessed with Blondie and Debbie Harry ever since.
0: I've never got my head around where the sound came from. I've tried to figure it out because they, they're like aliens. I've got this theory that some bands could well have just landed from outer space. There, yeah. There's no comparison. There's no, not just going, oh, they the bloody great. Just saying, who else sounds like Blondie? Whoever did before, who has since? They're just, it's its own. You go into a record shop, there should be like punk rock, metal, Blondie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like its own yeah. genre.
1: I think that the, the original punk scene that we, obviously I wasn't there, but you've, I've read everything there is to read and watched every documentary. And But you think like Talking Heads, The Ramones, Blondie, mm. Television, uh, Patti Smith, none of them sounded similar to each other. They're all completely different. Yeah. And I think Blondie were initially the, the the weaker of all the bands that everybody thought weren't very credible and wouldn't do very well, or a bit ramshackle live apparently. and And it was sort of, 50s monster movie B movies, 60s like girl groups, sort of new wave, pop, punk, and it, it was a mashup of everything. And um, yeah, it it was what it, it was very influential. Like nowadays, there's lots of bands that you can say, uh, yeah, some A and R man looked at them and thought, oh, we've got we've got the British Blondie here, or we've got the next five men in drab suits and skinny ties and a beautiful woman singing. And you can see how influential they've been since. But, uh, yeah, you're right. There, there was nothing like them at the time, was there?
0: So have you read Please Kill Me, the Legs McNeil book? Uh,
1: no, I've not read that one, no. It's
0: really, really good. It, it's um, based, on, should.
1: it's
0: uh, based on sort of oral history. So he, he tells the story from just before Velvet Underground to basically... Just after, well, when Blondie then started to to get big, hmm. really, really good. Deborah Harry, anything like that, she just comes across so well. I think she, she yeah. wasn't, you know, obviously teenage boys are going to look at Deborah Harry and and there's an immediate visual appeal. But and their dads, got, <laughs> and their dads. But as you get older, like she's actually she was really funny, and she was kind of yeah. coarse.
1: She was kind yeah, of she's she's a cool rude. punk woman, isn't she? And. <laughs> yeah. she, she might come across a bit aloof or a bit guarded, and I, I like that as well. That I think there's still a lot about her that we we don't necessarily know that she keeps to herself. Yeah, fine. But the basic book, the, the biography she put out, was, was in, I read it in like a day. I just sat and read it from cover to cover, and there was things in that that I'd never heard, and I, I thought I knew everything about Blondie. <laughs> there was things that she still kept back and were in that book that were quite shocking or quite funny, Mm. I think that's the first time. What's it called? I haven't I don't heard that. What's it called? Face It. It was, it was written oh, by yeah. herself. Cool. There's been biographies of the band and, and Debbie Harry before, but not written by her personally.
0: That's smart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that. I'll... Yeah,
1: it's very, it's very, very good, yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Right, so the next band, I I hadn't actually heard. I thought it was going to be The Boys or Dead Boys, or... Oh, one of
1: okay, I know what we've got now, yeah.
0: So this is Zero Boys. Never heard, I'm just going to make a note. Read that book.
1: <laughs> and get Very this important. album as well.
0: Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, okay, let's just play it. Zero Boys. I, what <laughs> God? <laughs> Just I, I was really again. I was really sideswiped by that. I could see in in my mind. We we sort of do this weird thing as as music freaks, where you think you understand somebody else's taste, and then something comes along that sort of it fits. It fits, but I wouldn't have expected that. There's I've not heard Zero Boys. I mean, what? what are they current? Are they old? What? T- tell me about them.
1: They're they're early eighties American hardcore band, part of that scene from, oh, really? from those days where it was like fast, razor sharp punk rock, really hard, but also really melodic, mm. really tuneful, and and the vocals are so unbelievably snotty. Uh, that's one of their slower numbers. They're if they're in the same, so, you know, if you like Circle Jerks and Black Flag and that sort of early adolescence and things like that early American punk and um, that album uh, that that's from vicious circle is is one of my favorite punk albums of all time it's it's an incredible record and um, I thought I'd never get the chance to see them and um, my friend who lives in Amsterdam can you remember the band Brezhnev
0: oh oh yeah God yeah, yeah they, well, they brought they brought a chainsaw to a gig in uh, a right. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, well the drummer Oob is is a very good friend of mine. I kept in touch with him ever since, and we we visit each other sort of on and off. And he, he works at the Melkweg, the uh, the music venue in Amsterdam, as security. Okay. And every so often he'll send me a message saying, "Do you fancy a weekend in Amsterdam? Look, suicidal tendencies are playing, or whatever." And um, I was chatting to him. He said, "Oh, we've got the Zero Boys coming up. Do you fancy coming over?" And I was like, "Oh, yes." So that was it. I booked a flight that day and I was in Amsterdam two days later, (laughs) um, thinking it was like a rare chance to see the Zero Boys. Um, And they they played to a small crowd, about 250. Um, Whereas when I saw Suicidal Tendencies there, it was absolutely rammed. There was like thousands of people there. Mm -hmm. Um, And they played that whole album and a few other, you know, tracks and they were absolutely incredible, I was blown away by it and it cost me an absolute bloody fortune you know? <laughs> booking a flight when do you want to go, all oh, like on Wednesday please, and like oh right And um, but I stayed at his house we went record shopping, had a few beers and I flew home again with my Zero Boys t-shirt on, thinking that's, that's like a bucket list tick, you know, and then I saw they were playing Nottingham two days later, I thought fuck so. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Nottingham with a couple of friends saying, Oh, Zero Boys are playing like this legendary band. And I absolutely love that 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 LP. And they were playing in this pub that doubled up as a burger bar, and somebody went round saying, Are you stopping for the band to so these people who are eating their burgers? So, oh no, no, so well we've we've got to get everybody out by half past seven or something. Um it was not advertised at all like how we found out, I think I picked up a a flyer in selector disc or something like that. And um, there was about 50 people there and two indie bands who are absolutely nothing at all to do with punk supported, nothing against them. They just seemed a bit weird. And I don't think many people knew about it, but they came on stage and they were absolutely brilliant again with about 50 people. it, It was like, playing in like the bar of some pub and I thought this is surreal I've got one of like the greatest American punk helpies of all time and they're playing it in front of 50 people in a burger bar (laughs) in Nottingham and um, the next week I went to another gig and everyone I spoke to was was saying what really the Zero Boys played in Nottingham (laughs) and they were gutted that they missed it because they just didn't know about it and they didn't believe me they thought it must be a different Zero Boys
0: this is probably a far longer conversation, but I, I, I have some chagrin about the reliance of gig promoters on on Facebook, because I, I'm not. I think probably popped up on Facebook today to speak to you, yeah, you know, through Messenger. But I'm not really yeah. there. You know, I'm not a part of it. And and through work stuff, I know how the algorithm works, and I, I keep missing out on gigs. I mean, Ipswich is a tiny town. I keep. How do I keep missing out? I used to run a We're website actually in Ipswich. Yeah, <laughs> I used to. We used to run a run a, uh, a website, God, for about fifteen years called uk, And the point of that was I'd I'd go through all the listings every every week and pick out the punk gigs or pick out the independent mm. gigs or, or anything that wasn't just some fucking shitty covers band somewhere. But I stopped doing it because Facebook came along and just you know, no one was looking at the website. And I had like three thousand people on the mailing list at the time, you know, email addresses. I just stopped. And then each time I stop a few years later, I start realizing I I'm missing out on gigs. And at the moment I keep missing things. So what me and a couple of other promoters are doing is we get, we're, we're insisting on flyering. I mean, it's the, the most basic thing. We go to a gig yeah. and we give people a flyer. And that still appears to be the absolute best way of knowing what's going yeah. on. If you're not going to gigs that we're getting so desperate now as middle-aged men, we've got a, a WhatsApp group called gig goers <laughs> Yes, but
1: middle-aged men—it sounds like a, a new band, doesn't it? <laughs>
0: uh, well, I am in a band like that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it, but you get to middle age, like you, your rehearsals aren't like drinking cider; they're sort of, you know, emotional support and parenting <laughs> challenges get discussed. <laughs> but yeah, we've got a WhatsApp group for basically if one of us spots a gig, uh, a lot of stuff happens in Norwich, which is you know just up the road from us and like wait have you seen this have you seen this is going to happen because if you're not if you're not going out to gigs twice a week then you you do miss out but yeah yeah. me
1: and a load of friends in boston and area have a a facebook group it's um where anybody who spots a gig and is going to go to it posts in there like look at this who fancies a lift who wants to come or is anyone driving to this uh yeah it's it's getting harder if you don't use Facebook, but mm. when I went to see Discharge in Stamford on Saturday night, on the way out, there was a man stood you there. You saw it in
0: Stamford?
1: Yeah, of all places, yeah.
0: Wow, okay.
1: What else is there to do on a Saturday night in Stamford? Stamford near Peterborough.
0: That's what, it, yeah. Stamford
1: on the A1. Yeah, there, there's a group called the Scary Clown Posse, and they've been putting gigs on for 10 years, and they wanted a, a big sort of 10-year anniversary party, so they booked a bigger-than-usual name and uh, Discharge played in a venue. It's like a sort of um, damp, medieval cellar beneath a really upmarket, sort of posh, wine bar, pub, yes, dance music you yeah. place, but downstairs it's it's this gloomy, sort of dungeon-y place. That's what you want, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's dark, but they've got a really good, proper sound system, lights, lighting system, stage and what have you, and, um yeah, it's a brilliant venue. Um, but yeah, there was someone giving out flyers on the way out. He was handing them out for a gig in Peterborough in a couple of weeks. I, and, uh, that's how it
0: should be. I mentioned this in. Sorry, I'm going off on on tact here, and we're slightly running out of time. But I, I need to go to gigs in Peterborough. I've been going to Peterborough for thirty years. It's where my in laws live. It's where my wife's mm. from. I know. I know the city really well. Never been to a gig. Well, like, Stafford's well, first to be. Well,
1: yeah, the ostrich gigs on there. There's a pub that's called the
0: Ostrich. True. Stanford's where the the racking that we had in my record shop came from. Came from a record <laughs> shop in Stanford. But yeah, you know, God, right. We need another tune.
1: Okay. Let's rock. The sun is down on a brand new day. No more world, they tax the pay. The sun is going to be back in the night. The garbage moon is whisked away. The mastery of Hurts. Classic.
0: It hurts to stop that like that, but God, give us your first recollection of oh you did, you told us your first recollection I of the Kennedys. I sort of touched Kennedys. on the
1: Dead Kennedys, haven't I? But um they're just they're just a great band, aren't they? It's all been said, hasn't it, that they're, they're one of the greatest like of that wave of American bands. And I like that you can imagine in the eighties calling yourself the Dead Kennedys just for a start off wearing a Dead Kennedys T-shirt. Like now it's just the name of a band, isn't it? Mm. But, but to, to Americans of a certain age, you'd, you'd get your head kicked in, wouldn't you? And um, the, the, I think initially they started out, I've seen them say that it was a bit of a joke and they were, they were just satire and making fun of everything. But um, the, the way they did it, the sort of sarcasm and the... the um, it wasn't like the Sex Pistols were just horrible. It was like the Dead Kennedys had a real clever, sort of sarcastic and ironic way, like Kill the Poor and Holiday in Cambodia. And- the, 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 I, they were just sounding things, but it, it wasn't literally Kill the Poor. They weren't saying, go and kill the poor people. But um, I think that they were a very, very clever band, as well as the music was just amazing, wasn't it?
0: There's so much we could say. I can remember I was an indie kid, as, as we established earlier, and I can remember Dead Kennedy was the first band I heard. i was I just started playing in a punk band in Ipswich at the time, and they were the first band I heard that I thought to myself, they can't say that, can they? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I was so shocked, like Chemical Warfare and stuff. I was just yeah, like, and you
1: dig deeper and realise it, it is very, very clever political diatribes, but not... Not the War is bad. Stop the bomb. Not that sort of angry Anarcore style. It, it was something very, very different. Which, which it was one of the first punk bands I really got into when it, when I started discovering like the American bands like yeah. like the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and and so on. But yeah, there's not much more to say. Is there? they're just they're just a great, great band, and okay. the records are timeless. They still sound amazing now, don't they?
0: So, so in this uh, desert island disc type thing we're doing here, let's go for the next song. So there's the horrible side. (laughs) That song, that song though is, I think that that song does shine through that on that first of the first album, the only proper album. Did you ever see the Sex Pistols?
1: No, no, I never did. No, it was before my time originally, obviously I never Mm. bothered with the reunions for one reason or another, but um, I know people who went to see him. I've seen, I've seen the, um, the TV. There's a, there's a on TV. There's a Sky Arts, like, concert isn't there england there'll always be in england i think it was called of them um some big posh venue in london and and yeah it looks great it looks brilliant but um no i never did
0: i saw him at, at crystal palace because they did finsbury park and it was god this is a long time ago now they did finsbury park and a bunch of friends went and I'm, I'm i think like a lot of people into punk never mind the bollocks so yeah it's important it's it's I don't hate it it's it's probably not something I'm going to listen to very often because there's <clears> a lot of things I like a lot more but yeah friends went to the Finsbury Park it came back spoke well of it so they then announced a few years later they played at Crystal Palace not the football ground the um it's like an athletics track yeah yeah and <laughs> it was it was a fun day which I ought, I ought to actually write up at some point we turned up and they're like what I used to think of was like the chaos punks, like the the punks who were, were still Mohican and a bit more sort of cr- proper eighties crust. They were, <laughs> there's a long walk to the athletic stadium and they were just like passed out in ditches and under hedges <laughs> and stuff. And it's like they hadn't even made it to the arena. Yeah. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but they'd, um, the support bands were like, anyone you will know us by the trailer, the dead who, I'm sort of all right with, but the libertines like remember the libertines came yeah, on wearing yeah. like red. There's like red uh, British Army things, and yeah, they made a big show of mean, throwing yeah. their throwing their jackets into the crowd, and the crowd threw them back. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> you fucking keep that.
1: Yeah,
0: and then sex. I thought they were great actually. I thought I thought yeah. they they were good. They played. Awesome exhaustively they must have played every single song they even yeah, did like yeah. frigging in the rigging and stuff it was
1: <laughs> but john that, Lyon... that song bodies is is just utterly reprehensible isn't it, it is, oh, it's,
0: it's it's horrible song it, it's and... a horrible
1: horrible song and i, I think it's incredible it's, it's the best song on the album i think and um it's just so like if you say to somebody at work so what are you doing at the weekend?" So oh, I'm going to a punk gig. And so, oh, is it like the Sex Pistols? That is what they expect it to be. That it's is, to be like bodies. Yeah, to be like lots of swearing and all spitting at each other. And uh, me and my mate Cookie, he lives in America now. He's a good friend of mine. He moved out there a few years back. And we used to go to gigs in his car. And he didn't have a stereo. But in the back, he had one of those old hi-fis that you'd have in your bedroom. <laughs> and he could put like six CDs, and you know, he could like shuffle. Mm. It was like an early version of like iTunes shuffle. And he'd have Nevermind the Bollocks and uh, a few other like Sepultura or something, and he'd just put it on shuffle. And we'd all once we were driving, you couldn't do anything because it was in the boot. You couldn't like change the song <laughs> or anything. And whenever Bodies came on, we would we would just we would effervesce about how we try to think. How many words, who could come up with the right word to describe just how unpleasant it was? And I think reprehensible was was the the best word.
0: That's the winner, I think. um, It was actually that song I said about Friends coming back and and saying good things about Finsbury Park. There was many reissues at the time. And one of the Sex Pistols reissues, there was a version of Bodies, um, I was going to say a B-side, but it was like track four on a CD, but they called it Buddies. And it was a recording from Frisby Park where you hear you hear it kick in, and then you don't hear the band. You can only hear the crowd singing along. And yeah. it was the same thing at Crystal Palace. It was it was a, a great thing to be a part of. But I um, in the early internet days, John Lydon had a an internet radio talk show, and a friend of mine, well, someone I know, I should <laughs> that's a bit telling, isn't it? Someone I know got hold of John Lydon's home phone number a few years previously and, and rang him up Well, tried to ring him up. Didn't think about the time distance, went to a phone box, rang and his wife picked up and she was like, hello, who is this? And she was like, Oh, he was like, can I speak to John? He's like, he's asleep at the moment. It's like three in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, do you want us to wake? Do you want me to go and wake him up? He's like, no, no, don't, don't worry about it. So he rang into this talk radio show. It's on a, a site called E and apologized. And, uh, John Lydon was there, "That that was you, was it? That was fucking you." And Took it with good grace, but anyway, the point was he was talk- He went into great depth about why 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 he wrote bodies, which is a, a tale for another time.
1: Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it?
0: It is. Yeah, awful. But
1: wonderful. It's a wonderful song. It is, it is everything I want punk rock to be: snarling and nasty and unpleasant.
0: Right. So let's have some more of that. Actually, it's not snarling and unpleasant.
1: This is <laughs> it. <laughs> great though. What song? What the what the reason I-, I picked this one is it it is a fantastic song. It's one of my favorite Clash songs, but I've got a really good memory of it. We a load of us went to London, um, going back uh, seven or eight years ago from Boston, and there was, I think, there were about ten of us went in the end to see Tragedy, the the big overlords of crust punk from America, and it, it was a it was a very exciting day because they were playing two gigs in London. They were playing at a a, a whiskey bar in near king's cross or something upstairs and then they were playing at a squat in the evening and we all got the train down and we're all sat in different seats so we went to the bar and said can we just all stand here because we're all friends and we want to like travel together and the woman at the bar said you can you can so long as you buy drinks so (laughs) bear in mind it was like quarter to ten in the morning (laughs) or something um So by the time we got to London, we were just this sprawling mess of drunken idiots, like spilling (laughs) out of King's Cross. And uh, we went to the venue, and it was one of those big event days, you know, where a band just plays one gig and everybody descends on Mm. London or Bradford or Manchester, wherever it is. And we we got absolutely smashed and disgraced ourselves like we were idiots. And on the train home, there was only about four of us on the last leg where I went from Grantham to Boston, and we got on, like, falling over and laughing. And there was this other gang, a bit like us, but these four middle-aged women, and they'd been to see Take That or something <laughs> at, at Sunderland. Or they, they'd they been, like us, they'd be to see one of their favourite bands, and they started singing Take That songs. So my mate Luke started singing that song by The Clash, and we're all sat there, it drunk, Drunk as skunks on this train from Grantham to Boston, singing um, uh, "Train in Vain" by the Clash, and these women were singing "Back for Good" or something by Take That. Did, did he choose?
0: Did he choose to sing it on the train because the title's got the word "train" in it?
1: It's possible. I believe it's his <laughs> favourite song, right? Like, ever, um, and we all knew it, and it's a great song. And these were, and then we got talking to these women, and. These like four drunken punks from Boston were talking to these four middle-aged women from wherever, uh, comparing notes, and we all got on like a house on fire. You wouldn't have thought it, but and it was. And that song always reminds me of that day, and it it, it is a fantastic song too, isn't it?
0: it? It it's the one that changed my mind about the Clash. Being a contrary indie kid, I I never. I never really got the Clash. I still haven't listened to an album the whole way through, which I do need to remedy.
1: Heavens above! I know.
0: Again, first of all, it's the Crocs, and then it's that. <laughs> <laughs> but that and you think
1: you know somebody, eh?
0: <laughs> the that that and "Safe European Home" are the two two mm. Clash tracks I heard. I just went they, they, they transcend, almost transcend the genre. It's yeah. it's so good, and that the beginning of that so basic. The little ding 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 fantastic, but we need to move on to the last track, which was Another Surprise. Blended
1: sunrise And it's a dying world humming mean, wrangled We scavenge up our roads All my violence Raging tears upon the sheep
0: So again, Bowie, yeah, no 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 argument there, but is that from the Buddha of Suburbia soundtrack?
1: Close, close. It's from the oh. outside album, similar uh, era. Uh, that's my favourite David Bowie song, and I am I'm a huge, huge Bowie fan. Um I've I've been a, a massive, massive fan since I was about 13-14. My auntie gave me um some records and forced me to go home and listen to them because she is, like, obsessed with him, like, in love with him. She's got pictures all around the house, a house like a shrine to Bowie. And uh, me and my brother, again, we were, like, he was a metalhead. I was into indie and punk stuff. And we didn't know much about David Bowie beyond, like, he's, you know, dancing in the street and stuff like that. And um, she she had a David Bowie CD on or something. I we went to her house and, and my brother <laughs> said something like, isn't that him who did The Laughing Gnome? And she no. went, absolutely fucking mental. He was a, that's
0: a wind-up thing to say. He must yeah, have known. We,
1: that's all we knew at the time, because one of my mates had a, a Laughing Gnome seven-inch single, and we listened <laughs> to it. And it, it, Like you'd listen to, like, Bob the Builder or, you know, Shut Up Your Face or something like that. We just thought it was some daft novelty song. It was. <laughs> which it was, I suppose. Yeah. And she went absolutely mental, and she went to her record cabinet and she pulled out Ziggy Stardust. Aladdin Sane and um, a couple of other Bowie records and put them in my hands and said, go home and listen to them now. <laughs> and when we got home, I thought, I, I didn't know much about David Bowie, like I said, and I put, I put on um, Ziggy Stardust. And when I got home and up to my bed, I thought, right, let's have a listen. And the minute it started playing, I was just like, like, like when I first heard Discharge, it was... It was like before I had David Bowie and after I had David Bowie. And I just became, I just bought up every single thing by David Bowie I could find. And um but it, it was always like stuff from before my time. But then in the 90s, he released um a quite a weird concept album called Outside, which was um something like there was a murder, it was like a film noir type thing. And the serial killer was arranging the bodies in in art sort of um, installations, and there was these little segues between the songs of this detective in you know Bowie's sort of like um, cockney geezer sort of uh, film noir esque sort of things, and it was quite a dark sort of goth gothic cyberpunk influences um, in there, and it's a brilliant record. This, that song's on it and it seems totally out of place because it is just like a classic, great, big pop song and it mm. is absolutely wonderful. And um, that was the record I bought and thought, right, David Bowie's mine now. This is my David Bowie era, do you know what I mean? And, and I went to see him. I went to see him at Wembley. Um, Fortunately, I missed Morrissey, the support act. <laughs> and, um, got there about 10 minutes before, before the great man came on stage. And he came on stage and he just played like deep cuts from like the Lodger album, from uh, Scary Monsters album. He played Andy Warhol, which, and he didn't do any hits at all. But he played um, like Teenage Wildlife, Look Back in Anger, um, like I said, Andy Warhol, and he played this song. And I was like, I was, I was like welling up when he played this song. It, it's been my favourite song ever since. And me and my girlfriend at the time afterwards we were stuck in London. We missed the last train home. So we went to a nightclub in Islington and we met this skinhead fella who, because I had a UK sub shirt on or something like that, and he let us stop at his house. And then the next day, we just slept on a settee. Things you do when you, you're young, right. amazing. Um, and we just went to this fella's house um, and he put us up, made us a cup of coffee in the morning and he says, I'm off to the football now. He spotted Millwall and he was, he was hoping there was going to be some bother. <laughs> yeah, it might be some bother because we play in whoever. And, and then we got the train back to our, our our Chichester, our town city where we lived at the time. But um, that was the only time I ever saw David Bowie. And say so at the end, he did Moon Age Daydream. And I thought, oh, he's going to do the hits now. And he didn't. He just left. And there was no encore. He didn't cut, he didn't do that false thing, you know, where they go mm-hmm. off and everyone goes, more, more, and he, oh, all right then, let's do <laughs> another set of four or five. He didn't, he just played his full set and then he went. And I just thought, it, it is amazing that somebody that size play like Wembley Arena, not not just like some little venue, he was playing a great big arena show and he just played whatever he wanted. And he I thought, think I'm not going to do Ziggy Stardust. I'm not going to do Let's Dance. I'm not going to, you know, he just played whatever made him happy and it was it was incredible. And it, I, I, I wish I'd seen him more, but I'm glad I saw him the ones. And wow. that song takes me back to that time. Happy not, days.
0: Excellent. That, well, that, that's kind of, that's we, we've neatly brought everything around in a circle. So we were talking earlier about how Gadji is about the celebration of, of memory to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and storytelling what better track to end on than one of the master storytellers and music mr david bowie indeed excellent right we have run over massively but but so what? it was fun yeah. it was <laughs> fun uh, my friend billy porter has been trying to ring me while we've been talking and he's asked for a shout out and no billy you can't have one
1: <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> So we ought to wrap it up there. We don't really have sort of a structured end to to kind of um, these recordings. So I just want to say, well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure having a conversation with you. I've, I've been to your house briefly to drop off the books and we've That's been it, yeah. emailing yeah. and writing to each other for many years, never actually had a proper conversation, never been at a gig together. So thoroughly enjoyed One that. Day.
1: One day in Ipswich, I'll come over and go to the Steamboat Tavern or whatever hey. it's to yeah? Absolutely. Like that, yeah.
0: God, well, well, well remembered. Yeah, the Steamboat Tavern. Yeah. Well, maybe See, for the useless
1: Steamboat. information. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you a venue in every town.
0: Oh, God, no, I could carry on talking for ages, but um, I need a piss and I've got other stuff to do, frankly. Not that.
1: Okay. It's it. an Empire Strikes Back ending then. <laughs>
0: right. Right. I'm going to say goodbye. Do you want to say goodbye?
1: Yeah. Yep. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, up the punks.